Good morning, church family. Good to see you. Good to be around you. I'm excited that uh, we're together, despite that a little bit of water fell from the sky. Sometimes people can't handle That's okay. Some people melt, I guess. So um, I love how Scotty greeted everybody online. Um, Scotty, my buddy, said, uh, when he was standing up here hosting, he said, <clears throat> we want to take a second and say hi to you. And he went, that was the second. That was it. That was the best greeting ever. Be, be encouraged, online uh, gatherers. Uh, the, the Scotty sees you. And he gave you every bit of that second that he promised. We're in the middle of a series right now called Real. We're, gonna st we're studying friendship, and we're looking at uh, Scripture to see what does that actually mean, what does that look like. You come in here, and we have you put on a name tag because... Frankly, you may know your name, but uh, that doesn't mean other people know your name. And it's important that we actually get to know each other's names. Super important. So every Sunday, anticipate every Sunday that you come in here, we're going to ask you to put on this name tag. And some of our uh, serve team members, they have a lanyard. They have that and a name tag. Uh, just because uh, they need to be known double? No, because we want you to all have the same name tag going on so we can kind of see who, uh, who, is, who is a part of our church family. This morning, I want to introduce you uh, to John and Vicki, my friends John and Vicki. And no, people, I don't get permission uh, to call out, but I do uh, do it with candor. So don't be concerned, those who are not a part yet of our church family. John and Vicki have celebrated 50 years of marriage this week. Man, can you believe that? Uh, and they are inc incredible encouragers to their church family here, uh, to their family uh, abroad, and all the people that uh, they are. They are the epitome of amazing grandparents. They will go to the games. They will travel. They and, and some of y'all do that as well. But I'm talking about them right now. And they will go and they will watch and they will encourage and coach. And, uh, and they are incredible, wonderful people uh, that have just been honoring God with their life. And I want to ask you to uh, be praying over them as they walk through uh, difficult seasons in their life. This is our church family, and we lift them up. We don't grieve anything like those who have no hope because we're believers, and we will encourage one another. You need to know these folks right over here. Make sure that you meet them after um, I'm done talking. Could be a minute. And I want to also make sure that you know uh, my sister Kimmy and her husband Mike, who have celebrated 30 years of marriage, right? Yeah, that's great. Super great. Uh, my sister is truly one of my best friends. Hasn't always been the case because she's six years older than me. I threw that out there, you see that? <laughs> and, uh, and so I just really do baby really well. I do the baby of the family so good that it probably is annoying to everybody. But her and I have developed this friendship over the past number of years where we uh, in, insist on being together and talking and calling and laughing and crying and all that fun stuff. She is the new chairperson of our board of directors uh, who is uh, leading and guiding alongside our staff in incredible ways. And her husband, Mike, just retired from about 30 years of being at the fire uh, station in Talmadge. 
I remember when I was a kid and I'd go around Talmud Circle and Mike was actually on the auxiliary police, was it? And he was out there directing traffic. And brother thought he was so cool. Let me just tell you, he thought he was so cool because he had that light blue shirt on and the dark pants and people had to obey him. People had to listen to him as he was out on the circle directing traffic as people are trying to come across. You need to know this couple. Uh, they are incredible, wonderful followers of Jesus. If you don't know Mike and Kim Hogue, make sure that you do that. And a friend of mine um, who isn't married yet, his name's Ryan. He's up in the video room. He's up there behind a wall, probably just um, planning my demise right now that I'm even mentioning it. He's the awesome dude. There he is, right there. There's Ryan. Hi, Ryan Cassidy. Uh, and he's got red hair, so you'll see him uh, running around. He actually is a wonderful young man that grew up in my youth group when I was leading uh, teenagers and, and doing just a, a great job that he's doing here today. He, um, he has taken what we didn't have in technology uh, prior to COVID, and then as we went into COVID, just completely uh, provided, uh, for those of you, right, we'll give you another second online, and, uh, and the, the, he's the reason you're able to gather online. And we provide that as a, as a gift so that when you're on vacation or you simply can't come in person to be with the church uh, itself, then you can actually uh, gather online. Uh, Ryan has been through some stuff. He has been through some stuff. He, when, he, when I met him, when he was just a, I don't know, middle schooler, just a runt, let me tell you, just a runt. He would wear the most amazing outfits, this hat like a gangster. He was a straight up gangster, all of about 98 pounds and about yay tall, full on suit. And it was him and his sister and his mom. Dad decided not to be there anymore, okay? I can tell you this because we have walked through some junk together and as his birth dad was passing, he asked for some guidance. Should I go see him? And he did. And he offered forgiveness. He is an incredible young man that is as lively and as bounce off the wallish as you will find and just loves Jesus so much. These are the people that are within your church family, and you need to know who they are, because uh, you, if you say, this is my church family, you should know. The reason why it's so um, overwhelming for me to talk about some people is because I have just been walking with them. I have chose to invest, not just because of... Um, the, the place I serve as pastor, but because these are my friends. This is my family. And you likewise should know people that you sit next to and you should care about them. So when you talk about them in a healthy way and talk to them, you can feel the joy and the pain that comes with their story. We are a family and we're learning about friendship and how to be friends to our family uh, this, this series. We want to be real. We are nothing if we are not real. 
Last week, we looked at how real friends choose each other wisely and how we need to make uh, those connections in a healthy way, uh, surrounding ourselves with people that will encourage and empower us. And the prayer that we're doing right now as a church family is simply this. Who in my life is pushing me closer to Jesus and who in my life is pulling me away from Jesus? And then you being able to listen to the Spirit of God and then decide for yourself who's going with me into this next season. Who's going with me into this next chapter? Because not everybody you know today is intended to go to the next chapter of the book. We try to drag people. Right? No, 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 you're coming with me. And we get all these emotional ties, no doubt. But there are just some people that we need to just pray over and let them be and move forward, allowing God to do whatever he chooses to do with our lives. Real friends choose each other wisely. Today, real friends show each other grace. We're going to learn about grace. What is grace? What grace is not and how we can actually show uh, grace to one another. When might friends need to have hard conversations? I want you to think about this as I, as I talk here for a moment. When might friends need to have hard conversations? I want you to just think about this rhetorical, so don't raise your hand. Um, when might friends, I want you to process this. Because sometimes things pop up in our lives and people say things and we want to jump on that. Uh, oftentimes we'll, even as uh, church people, right, Christians, we'll jump on it in the name of Jesus. Well, they said that and I couldn't just let it be. I do believe that God gave us not only passion, but a brain. And I think it's important for us to process for just a moment our response. Remember, when Jesus was questioned by Pilate, he didn't have much to say. Because he knew who he was. He didn't have to defend who he was. So when might friends need to have hard conversations? Well, wherever that is in your life, you might even say now, oh man, how did he know? I don't know. This is just the Spirit of God working through his word as we, as we learn here today. Here's three things I want you to think about, three statements when you say, oh man, I need to have a hard conversation. First of all, you need to, you need to think to yourself, does it need to be said? If somebody says something ignorant, does it need to be said? Does something need to be said? Does some, or does it need to be said by me? Oh, yeah, something definitely needs to be said to them. Okay, does it need to be said by me? Well, maybe me because I have a relationship with that person. Okay, does it need to be said by me now? Don't you think your relationships would be just a little bit healthier and happier if you took this moment and took a deep breath Maybe even 30 seconds to say, does anything need to be said? Because not everything is worth, it's not everything's a hill worth dying on. Not everything. Well, I just had to speak the truth. Yes, it can be truth, but it can also, you just being annoying. So does it need to be said? Yes or no? No? Stop. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Does anything need to be said? Well, yes. Okay, does it need to be said by me? Well, probably not me. So then cover that in prayer. Well, yes, maybe me. Does it need to be said right now? Sometimes, let me just give you a little insight. Sunday mornings are very uh, full, and uh, we come as a team, all of our serve teams together after a full week and beyond, uh, because we don't, we don't think through Sunday morning on Saturday night. We think through today, two months ago. 
You understand that? I've been thinking about today like on and off for like two months. You with me? And so, uh, so with that comes the idea that sometimes people say, oh, I need, to tell, I need to tell the team or I need to tell somebody or I need to tell pastor something right now. I want you to stop for a minute and think, does anything need to be said? Okay, does it need to be said by me? Okay, does it really need to be said by me right now? Like, do I really need to catch them right now or could I call them later? Can I call the team later? Be thinking about that, right? Because sometimes you do need to have a hard conversation with me. Pastor Gordon, you hurt my feelings. I want to know that. I want to talk with you about it. I want to have an opportunity to understand. I want to have an opportunity to ask for forgiveness. I want to have an opportunity to learn alongside you. Because did you know that you're broken? Yeah, so am I. We're broken people, uh, saved by the grace of God, and we need each other. Sometimes we do need to have difficult conversations. And sometimes... We just need to know exactly the right time. If you've been, if you've uh, hurt a friend, you might think that the problem is only between the two of you, but it's not. That hurt impacts other people in your group of friends too. So if you think about this idea that, well, it's just this person that I'm having a hard time with. Yeah, but then that permeates everything else because people can feel it. People can sense it. People are aware of it. And you gotta, you got to deal with that stuff right away. you got to keep short accounts. And you have to offer what's known as grace. In my friendships over the years, I've had uh, many times where I have had to ask for grace, ask for forgiveness. I have looked for somebody to offer me this idea of grace. And what is grace? Very simply put, Giving someone a gift, not just a, not a present necessarily, but the gift of kindness or patience that they don't deserve. And there's been times where I've needed people to give me patience and give me forgiveness, and I definitely don't deserve it. There's also been times where I have had to offer grace in situations because I have felt abandoned by whoever, and I have had to decide that, no, they don't deserve it. This doesn't mean they deserve it. You with me? It means that it's the right thing to do. So I'm going to offer grace to them. Giving them something, giving them a gift, the gift of kindness, the gift of patience, something that they actually don't deserve. But what is grace? Because in our church world, we say things like, well, don't you think you just need to give me grace? And we'll actually use it as a manipulative tool to get people just to kind of go along with whatever we're doing. So what is grace? Well, let's start with what grace is not. Grace is not codependency. This codependency is this excessive emotional or psychological reliance on another person. Grace is not codependency. It's not this idea that you are fully reliant on that person to be okay. That's not grace. That's being codependent. Grace is not allowing someone to walk all over you. Well, I know that I know that 92 times they have done this thing, but we're told to forgive. Yes, but that doesn't mean you're supposed to go right back into the situation. You with me? We have a hard time as church people, as believers, understanding that you can actually set up boundaries with people, but that boundaries are an act of grace. Grace is not being walked all over. Grace is not avoiding an opportunity to stand for your faith. 
Well, I just wanted to offer them grace and I just didn't want to say anything. There are, in fact, times, right? Does it need to be said? Does it need to be said by me? Does it need to be said by me right now? There are times where you do need to speak up. You do need to stand firm. You don't need to be afraid of who you are in Christ. Grace, just, just walking away and avoiding is not necessarily grace. Grace is not avoiding the need for relational boundaries. We need to be able to set up boundaries if somebody is um, ongoing, habitually uh, offending, sinning, acting in such a way that is not becoming. We need to be able to set up those guidelines. So grace isn't just letting someone back in to do whatever they want in your world. That's not grace. So what is grace? Giving someone something that they just don't deserve. A second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. You may give somebody a seventh, a ninth, a, a, a bunch of chances. Uh, you need to understand that consequences come with actions. The grace alone is this idea that, oh, I'm going to continue to forgive you, no doubt, because I have been forgiven much. I will, I will forgive you as well. But the grace comes with not letting you treat me however you want to treat me. Grace is actually setting up those healthy boundaries. Kindness, the grace of patience. Do you know anybody in your life that absolutely does not deserve your patience? Come on, you take it out on the drive-thru person all the time, right? <laughs> you get mad. This is ridiculous. I've had to wait three minutes. We yell at Google when they go from 1.3 uh, microseconds or milliseconds, whatever it is, when it's actually a full second when they load up a whole bunch of responses. And we get so mad, and like, nobody deserves my patience. Imagine giving somebody patience that you feel just doesn't deserve it. I've told you this two times already. How do you not understand it? You ever work for somebody um, that they've been doing the job 25 years and they're so impatient, they feel like you should know it already. Please let me just tell you that people are not where you are. People are not in the same place. They may be further along. They may be not as far along as you in wherever you are. So grace is this idea of giving patience. I know you know somebody that doesn't deserve your forgiveness. You think of that person even right now, somebody that you would say, no, that person does not deserve my forgiveness. They don't deserve your forgiveness. Isn't that what grace is, though? Giving it even though, right, they don't deserve it. In fact, it's, because, it's grace because it's given and undeserved. How about your love? Your acceptance? Giving them grace. No, you don't deserve this, but I'm going to do this. A mother that forgives a drunk driver after she has lost her son. Ooh, forgiveness. Grace. Nobody deserves it. Let me let you know a little secret. This whole salvation thing we talk about with Jesus, the Son of God, Christ, of Nazareth, right? Mm -hmm. None of us deserve that. And in the passage that we're going to read, you're going to see from the Apostle Paul that he would say, and least of all, him. Isn't that crazy? When we talk about the Apostle Paul, we think, oh man, he was a super Christian. 
But I, I, I want to paint a picture today that can help us remember how unsuperchristian he actually used to be. So that we can get a good picture, a good understanding of what grace is really all about. Acts chapter 9. Turn on your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Turn on your mobile devices. Recall Acts chapter 9 if you have memorized the entire Bible. We are going to be reading from the New Living Translation. That's the that's translation I like to teach from. So that's where we're going to read from today. Uh, the words are on the screen as well, so you can follow along. As we jump into Acts chapter 9, about the same time that this story is occurring, where this is uh, Saul of Tarsus, his uh, conversion story to becoming eventually the Apostle Paul, around this time is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch that chooses to follow Christ. And so while Philip, the evangelist, is reaching people for Jesus... Saul is trying to destroy people and get them away from Jesus. This is the mirror of what's happening. You know how you work so hard, I work so hard, I try, I do all that I can, and yet people keep tearing things down, and no matter what we do, it seems like we're not making any headway. Have you ever felt that? Maybe it's at work, maybe it's at home. You take, you take one step forward and three steps back. This is what's happening here. This is the feel that's happening within the life of people that are following the way. This is how they would refer to it because Christian was this derogatory term. It wasn't a, a, a really encouraging thing. People referred to Jesus' followers as uh, followers of the way. And so here we have Paul on his way to persecute even more. I don't think we understand what he's truly doing. Saul of Tarsus, in his religious duty, is tracking, chasing, running down people that claim to follow Jesus. And he's killing them. He's burning and destroying church buildings or rooms. He's actively pursuing it. The first martyr that is recorded, Stephen, he was there. He watched it with delight because he believed that by eradicating the people of the way, he would actually be honoring God. This is somebody that as hard as you work in your life, Imagine pursuing you and your family because of the hatred they had towards what you believed. Do you understand where this man was? He was absolutely positively driven to eradicate the gospel. As Philip is sharing the gospel, meanwhile, it says, Saul was uttering threats in verse 1. With every breath, just this constant, the, the language here is that he's just in this constant state of find them and remove them. And he's eager, eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. This is Saul who is to become Paul, goes to the high priest and he requests letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any 
followers of the way he found there. So he would have permission from the religious people to go and take anybody uh, that is a follower of the way, Jesus followers, and he was allowed to arrest them and do whatever he chose to do with them. And there would be no repercussion from the synagogue. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Now, I don't think we yet still feel what this is. Imagine somebody coming into your home and forcefully removing you because you claim the name of Jesus, putting you in handcuffs and dragging you away, maybe throwing you in a bus and you remove, and it's not in any way, shape, or form uh, approved by you. Family scattered, people lost, maybe even in front of your very own eyes. This is the man that did that. This is the one that pursued followers of the way to remove them. And he's on his way to Damascus to keep it going. Because he truly believes that he's doing the right thing. We're going to remove these followers of the way. I can't believe they would come up against our systems and against our God. Isn't that something how we can get so focused on what we think is right? That we hurt, destroy, tear down, abandon others? And so he gets permission and he's on his way, right? The road to Damascus. And it reads a fascinating report here. And as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly, he didn't get a heads up. He didn't get a text or an email. He did not get a report of any kind that Jesus was probably going to be meeting him on the road to Damascus. Jesus pops up suddenly Shone down on him was this light. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, this is a very powerful, mean, angry, nasty man. And the light of God, Jesus, his son, puts him on his knees. Don't think for a second that whoever's in your life that is the gruffest, the roughest, the meanest, the nastiest against God. Don't think, or against Jesus, don't think for a second that Jesus can't do some life change in their life. Oh, they'll never change. How do you know? You don't know. And many people would have never expected this. In fact, we're going to look at Ananias here in just a minute and how he responded to this. Well, we're on the road to Damascus. Paul is on his face, on his knees, and, and Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He says, Lord here. Lord is sometimes revered, reviewed, used as, uh, referred to as the divinity of God for sure, the lordship, but it was also used as a very... Uh, appropriate humbling term like sir. And so here the apostle Paul is saying, who are you, sir? Uh, Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. 
Now get up and go to the city, and you uh, will be told what you must do. This man was on a mission to do what he was called to do, and Jesus stops him in his tracks, gives him a reality check. Now the men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Yeah, uh, Jesus had already ascended to heaven, and Jesus chose to do this to the apostle, to this for the apostle Paul. Jesus can still do whatever he wants to do, however he chooses to do it. We place no limitations on the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Prince of Peace. And so here he is. So Paul picked up, picked himself up. Listen to this. I don't know if you've caught this before, but I want you to pay attention to this. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. But wait a second. It means his eyes were closed, and yet he saw Jesus? You're like, whoa, that's kind of beyond physically cool. Because that's how Jesus can do things. Maybe he already thought he was seeing because he had clarity. Jesus removed the blindness of his spiritual life and gave this new life. And when he opens his eyes, he realizes he's physically blind. That's so crazy. An experience with the Son of God, so complete, so full, and so real and accurate, and paid no attention to the fact that his eyes were closed. And then later, after this moment, realized, oh my gosh, I'm blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. So time that he's fasting if you will, and, and he's trying to process what just happened. Because, of course, uh, Saul would have been around the believers, would have been around the followers of the way, would have probably heard gospel, probably would have heard different things, uh, maybe even seen miracles. Like, there was a level of familiarity, which was also the reason why he hated it so much, because he believed it was a direct uh, opposition to everything that he believed. And so now he has this face-to-face -face interaction with Jesus. Now, verse 10, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord. That's the proper way to respond to the Lord to, to, to Jesus. Yes, Lord. Right? Because just calling calling somebody Lord indicates that you are fully submissive to that person. So uh, yes. Lord, go over to, the, to Straight Street. Did you ever notice that the street that straight, it had a name? That was kind of neat. Go over to Straight Street and to the house of Judas. And when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying for me right now, or pray, praying uh, to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him. So... Uh, he, so that he can see again. Okay, so Ananias started off with full submission, and then he kind of flips to, but Lord, 
yeah, uh, but no, maybe none of those work before Lord. Okay, um, it's just simply, yes, Lord. But Ananias wanted to make sure that the Lord was aware. Um, I have heard many people talk about this terrible things that this man has done. All that stuff that I shared with you, this is the fear that is permeating Ananias, no doubt. Because now the Lord wants me to present, you want me to present myself to this guy? I've heard so much stuff about what he has done. Why in the world would I go to him? Verse 14, and he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. In case you were unaware, he's a bad dude. And you want me to go over there and pray over him so that he can see? But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message, to no longer try to eradicate it, but to actually now promote it to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So back to yes, Lord. Ananias went and found Saul, and he laid his hands on him and said, brother. I know we've read this a, a, a thousand times, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And he goes on and said, brother, uh, Saul, the Lord who has appeared to you. Is a, no, no, no. Let's go back to brother. This was an incredible term of endearment that Ananias is using to acknowledge you are, in fact, a part of the fold, okay? You're a part of the family of God. You are my spiritual brother, this had to be an incredible moment of what is going on. Ananias says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who, you know what? Maybe he didn't even believe it yet himself. Is it possible that we can do what Jesus says even if we truly don't understand or believe it yet? Could we believe that God can do some miraculous work in our life even though we don't see it? Could we believe that relationships can be restored even though we don't see it? Maybe, just maybe, Ananias wasn't even there yet, but Jesus said that, Paul, that Saul was okay to go to, and so he steps into that role. Jesus says that he's okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step into this awkward. You want to talk about an awkward moment? You're presenting yourself to the one that's removing all believers. And he says this beautiful term as his brothers and sisters in Christ. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So interesting because Jesus said he would regain his sight. And now uh, Ananias I got, where's Philip? I don't know. Ananias is, is here, and he's saying, so that you might. See, Ananias isn't just, isn't fully like, sure. But he's stepping into an awkward moment because Jesus said to. that You may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scale, something must have been visibly seen perhaps somehow, maybe even if it was just by Saul, like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up 
and was baptized. He got up and he was baptized. After he ate some food and regained his strength, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. Who in their right mind would allow such a terrible person such grace? The one, am I overplaying my hand here? Do you understand what we're talking about here? The one that was killing believers and burning churches and destroying all of it was now hanging out with them and being cared for by them. That's what the church is supposed to look like. Now, I'm confident that if he would have used that and then got in there and started all kinds of trouble and was actually like, nope, not really going to believe it, then yeah, you got you, you to have some space, but we're not letting that dude back in here because he was in, we took care of him, and it was, but it was real. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. With each and every one of us, Saul included, God went first by showing us grace, even when we didn't deserve it. And, and just to be clear, we still don't deserve it. The believers of Acts invited the biggest enemy they knew of in the time, physical form, and cared for him. And yet we don't want to call somebody who called us a name. I know it hurts when people abandon you. I know it rips you to shreds knowing that you feel completely slighted. You feel, you feel as though somebody came down on you. Somebody said to you, hey, I'll walk with you anywhere. Come alongside me. Let's do this thing together. And then even if you made one bad choice, they say, nope, not interested in that. Mm -mm. And you're going, wait a second. It wasn't even really that big of a deal. It was a misunderstanding. And it still hurts. But I choose to believe if the spirit of God that lives in Ananias and the believers here that took care of Saul is supposed to be the same spirit that lives in you and me, that we can actually care for those who persecute us. So we go into 1 Timothy chapter 1 here, and many years later, Saul, who is now the Apostle Paul, wrote a letter to a man he was mentoring. He's writing a letter to Timothy, and he's recalling this moment. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy, not because I was trustworthy, but because he chose to consider me trustworthy. Just like when we become saved, we are not righteous. We are declared righteous in Jesus' name. So he wasn't trustworthy, but the Jesus that was now, the spirit was now that was living inside of him was, and he was declared trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. Even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ, even though I used to intentionally come against Jesus, he decided to declare me trustworthy. And now I have the privilege of actually growing the church. So even though I persecuted his people, God had mercy on me. 
Now, mercy is a little bit different than grace. Grace, you receive something you don't deserve. Mercy is refusing to give punishment you do deserve. His work on the cross was both grace and mercy. Because I did it in arrogance and unbelief. He just didn't know what he didn't know. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that came from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept this. Listen to this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's that simple. He came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of all. Somebody many years after follow, choosing to follow Jesus in this moment, he says, and I am the worst of them all. He chose to save me. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. When Paul experienced grace from both God and Ananias, he didn't take it as a free pass to just do whatever. Oh, yeah, you gave me grace. Woo, I'm off the hook. He looked at it as truly another chance. Your next step towards grace depends on you. How are you going to handle that? Well, first of all, you may just simply need to accept God's grace. This Jesus that came, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death as a payment for you and me and our, our, for our sins. And then he rose from the grave to show that he truly does conquer death to bring new life. And he invites the whole world into this. No matter where you were or where you think you are now, you may simply just need to accept this grace. Others may need to begin extending God's grace, recalling, like Paul did, what Jesus did for him, and then passing that grace on to others. Remember, you probably used to be right where that person is today. Isn't that something? How quickly we forget how far we've come. And yet we want to tear down those who are not quite where we are. You just might need to extend God's grace. You might be in a place where you need to combine grace and truth. You may need to have a conversation with somebody. You may need to sit down with them and just let it out in a loving, kind, stern way that establishes boundaries. You Hurt me. You may just need to share what's going on. That conversation is an act of grace. Oh, you might need to ask for grace. You might need to ask for somebody to forgive you for something that you've done that you just know hurt them so bad, even if you didn't mean to do it. Well, I didn't mean to do it. Nobody asked you if you meant to do it. All I'm saying is that it hurt when you did it. And then a proper response, a mature response, I'm sorry that I hurt you. Please forgive me. 
And in the midst of all this, probably in some cases the easiest, and in some cases the hardest, give yourself grace. I know in my mind right now one person in this room that I won't call out, don't worry, we're past that moment, that needs to give themselves grace. Let me tell you, you are seen, you are heard, you are prayed over, you are doing the best you can in Jesus' name. Give yourself a break. Give yourself grace. And there's at least one person in here that is not even giving yourself grace but permission to do whatever the heck you choose to do, and you call it grace, you call it whatever, you need to have a combination of grace and truth conversation with yourself. Are you going to keep going down this road? What are you doing? Today's big idea is very simple. Real friends show each other grace. These people around you are openly and will declare in maturity and humility that they are not perfect, And some would probably even say, oh, right here, I'm the least of all. Perfect. Let's show them grace. Eve read this verse to us. Let's look at this again in Proverbs. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. Now, you know that's true because you've experienced it. Every time you relive the situation, you become more bound by the enemy because you can't move past it. Love will prosper when you forgive that. But if you choose to keep dwelling on it, you're just going to keep losing people in your life. You know it's true. So then do something different. Our next step is the same next step all month long. This week, what's one way you're going to be wiser with your friendships? What's one way you're going to be wiser? Perhaps maybe this week you can offer Grace. Now, if you're having discipleship conversations, whether at home as a parent, uh, young children, adult children, or friends, here's a, uh, here's a discussion that you can have to take it a little step further. Do your current friends draw you closer to God or pull you away from God? You just have to be real. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this truth. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the heaviness that is felt even right now. All too often, we, we want to come and be super happy and then go home. Today is not a day for that. Today is a day for, though truth is spoken every week, today's a heavy truth day. That's probably not going to make us feel so good. So I pray boldness and strength into those that know what their next step is going to be. And I pray that you will empower them to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand, receive the blessing of the Lord as we head out here today? Next week, we're going to look at how real friends comfort each other. We're going to show grace. We're going to choose people wisely, and we're going to give them comfort. Now, receive the blessing of the Lord. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. 
then Christ will reign in your heart as you trust in him. Now say with me, go and be the church.